Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. The very last chapter in the Gospel of John. We are, as you know, currently engaged in a study on forgiveness entitled The Fundamentals of Forgiveness. With the many weeks that we've been studying, you think that it's the exhaustive treatment of forgiveness, but it's the fundamentals of forgiveness. We've already seen the existence of forgiveness, the fact that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. Following that, we looked at the fact that there is the existence of forgiveness, that our God is a God who is quick to forgive, that our Lord Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive, and that He went to the cross and gave His life that we would be forgiven. So the existence of forgiveness. And we are now engaged in considering the reality of the evidence of forgiveness. When one is genuinely saved, he will exhibit evidence of that. When one is forgiven, you will see it in his life. And the only... uh, thing that we've seen so far under this last major heading, the evidence of forgiveness, is that there will be heartfelt appreciation to God. What we could say is love for our Savior. Here in John chapter 21, we have the account of our Lord Jesus and his dealing with Peter after, as you know, Peter denied that Jesus uh, was his Savior or even his friend, denied him three times. And he went out and wept bitterly, and he was distraught over the fact that he had denied Christ. And here we have at least part in this chapter, the restoration of Peter to our Lord Jesus. So look, if you would, at verse 17. I'll I'll tell you what, we'll... uh, um, We'll pick up a little bit of the context. Verse 15, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. What I want for us to glean from this text, this passage, this restoration of Peter, as it were, is just this. When you understand who Jesus is, when you understand yourself as a sinner, and when you recognize that that sin has been forgiven and you are saved, you will, as Peter, Love Jesus. Three times Peter said, Lord, 
You know I love you. Remember, Peter was a man just like you and I, just a man. Some of you, of course, are women, but I mean, we're all human. We're all flesh and blood, and we all sin. Peter was just a man. Peter was a sinner. Peter sinned, but Jesus forgave him. And Peter's response, I believe, is just the response of any one of us who understands that Jesus has forgiven our sins. And I hope that you can get down on your knees every day and say, God, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. I'm not perfect. I still sin. Forgive me for my sin, but God, in my heart of hearts, I love you. Now, if you could say that this morning, turn back a few chapters to John 14. John 14. For this is where we left off last week, showing the evidence of that love. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Don't say, Lord, you know that I love you. If you're not willing to do what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As we saw last Lord's Day, this means you will continually be keeping his commandments. And remember, Jesus is God. He gave the commandments. And we are to keep them. There's nothing legalistic about that. It's love for the one who saved you. If you love me, you will be willing to walk in the way that I walk. You will be willing to keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 2 says, If you say you love him, but do not keep his commandments, you are a liar. I hope you're not a liar today. I hope that indeed, if you say you love Jesus, you keep His commandments. People, there is no such thing as the carnal Christian. Someone who loves Jesus will keep his commandments. This is where we left off last Lord's Day. Now keep that in mind. Keep this in mind. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now look back to chapter 13. John chapter 13. 13, as we look at what Jesus had just told his disciples just prior to telling them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here he gives them one of those commandments to keep. As we look first in verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. He gives them one of those commandments to keep. Love one another. Now, I want to open this up a little bit today. 
And there's kind of two different directions that I want to go in. But I wanted to start here because it was right next to John 14. And I I thought it would be easy for us to understand that this is part of the commandments of God that we love one another. But I want for us to open up and understand what he's saying and what that means. And as we do so, look first at the fact that he says a new commandment. What is he talking about? That's what we're going to have to see. Those who love Jesus will love one another. Now, I want to pick up the context a little bit. If you look up at verse 31, Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. When he had gone out of what? Or when he had gone out, From where? Those of you who know your Bibles understand that John chapter 13 is John's account of the Last or the Lord's Supper. So they had just celebrated the Lord's Supper, and that's where they had gone out from. And Jesus is now with his disciples. Judas is gone, Judas has already left. So he's with the 11. He's with the 11 disciples or apostles. And he's talking to them. And he's talking about his upcoming death. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him in immediately little children i am with you a little while longer and you will seek me and as i said to the jews now i also say to you where i am going you cannot come this begins the last discourse that jesus has with his disciples beginning right here And following through the next chapters is the very end of our Lord's life. And him speaking personally and clearly to his disciples. And what we find here is the fact that Jesus is telling his disciples in this, as it were, last charge. As he's going to leave them, he's got his friends around him. Judas is gone. It's just his close friends, his close disciples, his family, as it were. And he says to them, I've been with you all of these years. You've followed me all of these years. You've known me. You've heard me. You've seen me. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the truths. Now I'm going away. And where I'm going, you cannot come. I ask you to do this. I'm leaving. I'm asking you to do this. It's like his last request to them. Love one another. Love one another. That's the first thing he tells them in this discourse that will encompass the next few chapters of the Gospel of John. Love one another. I again remind you that the text says, verse 34, a new commandment 
I give you. Now, why is it a new commandment or what makes it a new commandment? And here's where we're going to take that other path for a few moments. You see, Jesus had already taught the disciples and followers of him to love their enemies. Love your enemies and pray for them. In fact, look back to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 5. Back in Matthew chapter 5, sort of the very beginning of our Lord's ministry. So right from the beginning of his public ministry, this is what he was teaching. Matthew's gospel, chapter 5. Look down, if you would, please, to verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons or you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what he's saying and what he is teaching them here on what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount is that you're to love your enemies. Who are your enemies? Your enemies. You are to love your neighbor. That's what the law teaches. Jesus expands that and says you are to love your enemies. You are to love the lost. You are to love those who hate you. You are to love those who are against you. And this hit home even as he was talking a few moments ago about when one asked you for your uh, cloak, give it to him, go an extra mile with him. The Romans. The Jews hated the Romans. They were their enemies. And Jesus says, don't just love Jews. Don't just love your brother." Love even your enemies. This was part of the commandments of God. And you remember Jesus even said later on, the greatest commandments, the two, he sums them up, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your being, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is already the command of God that you are, that we are to be those who love. People, this is basic and foundational elementary Christianity. Christians are those who are to love. Christianity is and you are to be characterized by love. We're to be characterized as those who love. People will notice. More on that in a moment. But we are to be characterized as a people who love. This is part and parcel of basic Christianity. In fact, 
I thank Tom for reading this passage a few moments ago. If you would look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as Paul opens this up and expands this and makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often even referred to as the love chapter. The heading in my Bible is the excellence of love. And here the Apostle Paul says that if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know the mysteries of all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it Prophets, nothing. And then he goes on to say, love is patient, love is kind, and so on. The preeminence of love in the Christian. It is supposed to be, and it is to be, part and parcel of who we are. We are those who love. It doesn't matter how great your theology is. If you don't have love, You're the frozen chosen. I don't want any part of it. We're not supposed to be so theologically orthodox and don't display the love of Christianity. That's why I love the fact that our church is our family. And that we celebrate meals together as families do. And yes, that we even sing happy birthday when it's someone's birthday. Because we're family. If we have orthodoxy but don't have love, it's profiting us nothing. We need both the truth and the love of Christ. If we have these things, notice that he says even if I sell everything and give to the poor, you would think, that that would be the definition of love. Man, he gave everything away to give it to the poor. No, it isn't. Because there's plenty of people that do that that don't have the love of Christ. There's plenty of people that are nice and good, but they aren't saved. Talking a little bit about that this morning in our Sunday school hour. The fact of the matter is only those who understand true love are those who have been saved by the greatest love, Christ. And when you have that, you have love for your fellow man and even as we read a few moments ago, for your enemies. Christians are to love. We are to be careful to have sound theology We are to be careful to have biblical worship, but we have to have love. I want people to come into this church and not only find sound theology, not only find ordered worship, but I want them to come and see that there's a people that care, that love. That's what we as Christians are to do. That's what we are to be, those who love. If we have all these other things, but do not have love, it profits nothing. So, love is the evidence 
of forgiveness. Love is an evidence that you have been forgiven. People, this is foundational. But do you realize that it is also extremely radical? It's foundational, but it's also radical. I want to remind you that the time in which our Lord lived was a cruel time. Just think of what Rome was like. They conquered everyone and everything that was in their way, and they showed no mercy. If you stood against Rome, you died. Rome perfected execution in a horrific way, the crucifixion. And they would line the streets with those who were crucified to send a message to anyone entering their towns or their territory. Don't mess with Rome. They were cruel. They were cold. They were harsh. Think of the scourging that our Lord went through. He wasn't the only one. They were really good at it. This was Rome. And this was the day in which people lived that we're talking about here in Palestine as it was even a province of the Roman Empire. They were cruel, hard, cold times. You go even further into the future a few years. Think about what Rome was like. You remember the Colosseum? What was the Colosseum for? They killed people for sport, for bets, for entertainment, killing people. It was a cruel day. It was a hard day. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that cruel environment, in that cruel world, emerged a different kind of people. People who were kind. People who displayed love to others. People who showed mercy to strangers. People who were part of this new religious sect people who were known as Christians. It is or was the love of Christianity that helped spread Christianity and turned the world upside down. Not just by doing miraculous works, because the miraculous works ceased. But what they did was they kept the commandments of Jesus. And this commandment that he gave was to love your enemy, to pray for them. The teaching and the principles of God's Word were to love your neighbor as yourself. And in the midst of this cruel, harsh world, Christians came showing love Showing mercy. Do you know some of the things that Christians did that caught the attention of many people? 
Well, one of the things was, I don't again want to be too graphic, but what people would do in those days, in many cases, if they didn't want a baby, they would take that baby and put it on the garbage heap, which was outside the city. Be kind of burning most of the time. Smelly garbage. And they would take unwanted children and put them there. Christians, with the love of Jesus, would come and take those children and raise them and keep them because they knew life was from God. The love of Christ dwelled in the hearts of Christians and they did things like that. Some of us know people who do that today and embraced by grace are going literally around the world to take children from horrible environments and bring them to families that will love them and raise them. Forever families, as they call them. But that's what Christians did. Christians did things, as remember last week or two weeks ago, we talked about leprosy and how the lepers would be outside the gate and they would stand off from everyone else and when someone would come near them, they would go, unclean, unclean. Well, Christians cared for them. Christians would go to them and feed them and bandage them and care for them. People noticed there's something different about these Christians. Christians with the love of Christ in their hearts would feed the poor and the hungry even though they were most of the time meager and poor themselves. But it was the love of Christ in the hearts of Christians that was one of the greatest evangelical tools used by God in the early church. Their love and their mercy shown to others, shown to others by these Christians that was so unusual, so rare, almost unheard of in that day, opened the door for them to tell men about Christ. Open the door for them to be able to teach them about Jesus because people wanted to know, where did you get this love? What makes you so different? What makes you like this? And they could tell them about their Savior. Love is part of who we are as Christians. And it enables us even today to spread the gospel throughout the world. When people come to our church, I pray that they find those who love rather than finding a mean people, a grouchy people, and they're quick to leave and never come back. Love enables us to give the truth of Christ, even as it did for these early Christians as Christianity spread throughout the world. Now, what made these Christians like that? 
what made them so loving that they would care for unwanted babies, for those who had leprosy, for those who were in need of shelter and food. What made them like that? They kept my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he commanded us to love our enemies and pray for them, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so they were keeping his commandments. Now, go back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. As I want to point out to you that as wonderful as that is, as much a part of our faith as it is to love our enemies and to pray for our enemies and to love those who are our neighbors, as much as a part of Christianity as it is to love the lost and because of the love for the lost, many people have zeal for them and go out even as missionaries to bring the truth to people across the world. As much as that is what Jesus taught, here he says a new commandment I give to you. That's not a new commandment. Loving your neighbor, loving your enemy was already taught. That's not a new commandment. And so what he says is a new commandment I give you, not that you love your enemy, not that you love your neighbor, but that you love one another. That you love one another. Now, who would that be? Well, the language is speaking of a mutual love. A love among brothers and sisters. It is a familial love, a family love. It is loving of one another, those who are of the same family. He is speaking of those who also have God as their father. As you have God as your father, and I have God as my father, we are therefore brothers or and sisters in Christ. This is what Jesus is addressing in this particular passage. He's speaking of the family. And once again, let me say, I love the family. I love our family. And this is part of why I believe it is right that we live as we do, as brothers and sisters. Sometimes we have slight disagreements or whatever, but we're family. We're family loving Jesus. We're family together. And again, as I said, the language is that of mutual love. Mutual love between the family. People, you are not going to get that mutual reciprocal love from people outside the family. Are you going to get that kind of love from the Muslims in ISIS? Oh, my brother, I love you as a brother. You're not going to get love from them. You're going to get a bullet or a bomb. This is talking about us. And 
I know that this may not be popular or some people might not like this, but the fact of the matter is that God has a special love for his family, for his people. Yes, he loves his creation, and he gives, as we saw in Matthew chapter 5, his son and his reign even upon those who hate him. He has a general love, but he has a special, particular, peculiar love for his own children, you and me. And so we together then have a special love, even as Jesus says, for one another. Why is this a new commandment? Because this is the beginning of the church. This is where the church began. God said from way back you're to love your neighbor. But here is the beginning of the church. And so the church are to be those who love one another. People in this church are to love one another. When we have friends and brethren who come from other churches, we show love to them in a different way, in a special way, in a familial way. We love them because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a special love for the brethren. That's the way it is. And Jesus here is speaking of that type of love. Look again, if you would, please, to 1 John today. 1 John, and we'll start looking at chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2, look down to verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's speaking about the difference between being saved and lost. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, that when you are saved, you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And here John is using the same type of language. That if you are in the kingdom of light, remember, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the true light that has come into the world. He is the light. And the light is His word, His truth, the gospel. He is the light. And those who are saved have the light, Christ, and have the truth, the truth of Christ. His word is truth. But those who are lost are still in the darkness. Their eyes are blinded and they do not see the truth. How many people do you know like that today? I am just astounded that so many people walk and live in utter ignorance as to what is happening all around the world and in our country. They are blinded from the truth, blinded from the light of Christ, 
blinded and they think everything is okay. Even in churches today. Oh, things are great. The world is great. Everybody's great. You're great. People think that everything is good. And they're blinded to the sin and the wickedness that is rampant in our day and the wickedness of those who are even leading our own country. They are blinded by these things. They are in the darkness. And how many of them say, Oh, but I go to church. I'm a good Christian. I love Jesus. If you love Jesus and hate your brother, you are blinded and you are in darkness. I heard and I hear this from time to time that some of you may actually be um, suffering, and I don't know how much suffering it is, but being ridiculed for your faith. You're told you're part of a cult because you attend this church. You're part of a cult because you go to a church that actually dares to preach the Bible. Their eyes are darkened. You and I Share the love of Christ with one another. If you think that we are lost and we're a cult, you're in the darkness. All we are is a biblical church, as opposed to the pagan places that call themselves churches today. John says here in this passage that this is evidence that you are in the light that you love the brethren. The one, verse 9, who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, is in the darkness. In other words, he's lost. He's lost. If you would now, look down to uh, verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Why would he say there's no cause for stumbling? Because when the light is on, you can see where you're going. When you have the light of Christ in you, you see clearly. And part of that is seeing truth and error. You have come to the light. I've seen the light. I once was blind, but now I see. That's what happens when you're really saved. And part of that involves loving the brethren. Look over to chapter 3 really quickly. Chapter 3 and verse 23. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Almost the same language is what Jesus used. He commanded us that we would love one another. This is what Christians do. We have that familial that mutual love for one another. Look over to chapter 4, the passage that I read to you just a little while ago, just across the page. Beloved, verse 7, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His Son, 
His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. What's the opposite of that? If you do not love, His love is not perfected in you. If you do not love, His propitiation is not for you. The propitiation is His turning away of the wrath of God from you through His Son, Jesus, and His shed blood. So what he is saying is, what we're looking at in this whole series, that the evidence that you are genuinely forgiven is that you will love your enemy, you will love your neighbor, and you will love one another. As we learn from our text in John 13, I ask you to turn back there. The next part is that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's John 13 again, verse 34. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. The first thing I would say about that is, that's not easy to do. It's hard to do, because God is perfect. Jesus' love is perfect. His love has no jealousy and no hypocrisy, no backbiting. His love is perfect. Is yours? He says, love one another as I have loved you. No hypocrisy, no jealousy. How many times have I seen that in churches? I love Jesus. I love, and then behind the backs of their people in the church, blah, 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 blah. Did you hear what she did? Did you hear what sister so-and-so did? Blah, 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 blah. Did you hear what he did? Blah, 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 blah. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? There are factions and divisions and nonsense. That's not as Christ loved you. Christ loved you perfectly. We are to love one another as brothers and sisters as Jesus loved us. So let me ask you, Christ's perfect love for you, Jesus' perfect love for you, will it ever fail? Will it ever stop? Will it ever fade? Will it ever diminish? And I hear you going, "Mm -hmm." no, definitely not, right? That's why the language in this text makes such sense because, again, in the Greek, it reads more like one, when it says you love one another, it is more accurately translated, you will be loving one another. You will continually be 
loving one another. As Christ's love was perfect, and as Christ's love never ceased, never ceases, never stops, never fades, so too your love will continue to be loving your brother as yourself. Loving one another continually. It will become a pattern of life for those who have been forgiven. You will continually love one another. Now, what does all of this lead to? Verse 35. By this, by what? The fact that you love one another. By the fact that you love one another, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how men will see the difference in you, in our church. We already talked about the neighbors and even the enemies, but even in the church, men will know that you are my disciples as you have or if you have love for one another. That family type love. I didn't have a chance to go to Ephesians chapter 2 as he speaks about that middle wall of division being broken down between Jew and Gentile and they become brother and sister family in the church. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. If you have love for Christ and I have love for Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have loved one for another, and the world will know it. The world will see it, and they will know it. He does not say, by this men will know that you are my disciples, if you have healing services. By this men will know that you are my disciples, if you help them to get rich. By this men will know that you are my disciples, if you all wave your hands together. And speak in baby talk and gibberish. By this men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Yes. We have to have the truth. We have to have sound theology. Yes. We have to worship in spirit and in truth. And yes. Part of that will involve love for the brethren. This is how men will know a true church. Oh, but I need things for my kids. I need a great youth program. What you really need is truth and the love of Christ in the hearts of the people in the church. This is how the world will know that you are forgiven, that you have love one for another. One has said that love is the badge of Christian discipleship. Not flowing robes, not dead orthodoxy, not good deeds, not healing services, the love that is displayed towards one another. Jesus said, men will see. Let me go back again a couple of centuries. In fact, around 200. Tertullian noted in 200 AD that in his time, heathens would say, when they saw Christians pass along the streets and meet and express their affections for one another, see 
how they love one another. So it wasn't just the love that they showed to the lost. It wasn't just the love that they showed to enemies or the lepers or the blind or to babies. It was the love they showed to one another that was seen by the world. How they love one another. Would to God that they would say that about us. How they love one another. Yes, we love strangers who come in. We'll show love. But we have a special love one for another. That's the way that it should be. And yet, unfortunately, as I said earlier, sadly, it isn't that way in so many churches. Sadly, people get bent out of shape and they're factions and divisions, even in places that are supposed to be churches, places that are supposed to have the love of Christ. Some churches have the meanest, orneriest, grouchiest people that you'll ever find. Men are supposed to be brothers at one another's throats. When I first moved here to this area, the church that I was then pastoring had one deacon and one head of the finance committee. And I think it may have been before I actually preached my first Sunday there, I found these men in the sanctuary about to physically start punching each other. Physically. And I had to actually separate them and keep them from fighting. Oh, the love they have one for another. People, this is not the way it's supposed to be. People need to know that we love Jesus and that we keep His commandments and that one of the commandments that we keep is this new commandment that Jesus gave us, that we love one another. That they come here and not only have hopefully sound theology and orderly worship, but that they find the love of the brethren one for another. And that our families and friends will even see this. I'm going to close today by doing something I hardly ever do. I'm going to read something of an unknown author. And it was a poem written years and years ago, and nobody knows who wrote it. But I thought it was pretty good. Now, you got to remember, this comes in the light of all the rest of the theology that we know, okay? But listen. How can you lead to Christ your boy unless Christ's methods you employ? There's just one thing that you can do. It's let that boy see Christ in you. Have you a husband fond and true? A wife who's blind to all but you. If each would win the other one, that life must speak of God's dear Son. There is but one successful plan by which to win a fellow man. Have you a neighbor, old or new? Just let that man See Christ 
in you. The church that hopes to win the lost must pay the one unchanging cost. She must compel the world to see in her the Christ of Calvary. May God's love dwell in us and may that love that we have in Christ flow over to one another. It is evidence that you've been forgiven. Let's pray.